Hello, hello. It is Wednesday, and that means we have a new podcast for you. Today, we have our friend Amber, and she is from Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, actually, and she has had a VBAC. She is a stay-at-home mom currently and has two kiddos, which we can't wait to hear both of those birth stories. Actually, you guys, guess what? She has something cool about her. She also <laughs> moonlighted as a bookseller as an independent at an independent bookstore. Tell us about that, Amber, a little bit before we get in. I want to know more. People sure. need to know. Well, I've always been a big book, uh, bookworm, and I think like many bookworms, I had a fantasy of working in a bookstore or owning a bookstore. So, obviously, after college, you know, I started a, a pretty normal career. I worked in software um, in the cybersecurity industry. But I wanted something to kind of do in my free time. And there was a local bookstore up in Arlington, Virginia, where I was living at the time, that uh, was hiring and needed someone with my skill set. So it just kind of worked out. And uh, actually, I ended up working for them for over seven years, just in the evenings, on the weekends, helping out with random projects and working events in the store. It was really awesome. It was it was as awesome as you think it is working in a bookstore. <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome. That is cool. cool. Thanks. So in addition to that, which I wish I was a bookworm, I struggle so much reading books, you guys. <laughs> I just can't get my mind to stop. So I find myself reading the same paragraph like five times in a row. It's just ridiculous. But Okay, in addition to that, we want to talk a little bit about her story. And she had a cascade of interventions and failure to progress that led to a C-section with her first one. And she really wanted to be back, but was very anxious about it. And I am sure if you are listening, you will know that there's a lot of people out there that feel very anxious about it. So we're excited to hear kind of more about her story because she talks about the anxiety. And that is something that we really... I, a lot of the time isn't talked about and I know Julie was saying that she had that and I had some anxieties as well. So we're excited to dive in a little bit more with that, but we have a review first and then we're going to get deep into the story. Yes, there is a review. And can I just say really fast before we get into the review, we have our new admin, Sarah, that we talked about several episodes ago and now she's in charge of compiling all the reviews into our spreadsheet and I don't have to do it anymore. And so it's so nice to just open the spreadsheet and have them there right in my face and I don't have to rush and try and figure out what goes where. So thank you, Sarah, for Yay, getting the Sarah. reviews together for <laughs> us. All right, without further ado, this review is from Apple Podcasts and it's Skinny21. And she says, one word, empowering, is the title. I started listening to these podcasts around 20-ish weeks in my pregnancy as I was prepping for my VBAC. The more I listened, the more questions I had for my provider and realized at my 24-week appointment that I had to switch. It just didn't sit well with me. The answers she was giving me were very big, and I didn't feel supported. I took the courage and strength to switch 
from all the stories from moms that did it much later in their pregnancies from all these podcasts. Once I made the switch, I was so thankful I did. I binge listened to all the episodes of this podcast and finished the last one the week before my due date. The amount of information I gathered and the strength it gave to advocate for myself was amazing and the confidence that it gave me so I could achieve an unmedicated feedback. Baby girl decided to join us on mommy's 30th birthday. Oh my gosh, that's the best, which was her actual due date which is awesome, in the middle of a world pandemic via unmedicated VBAC with amazing providers, even though my doula wasn't allowed in. She walked in, giving me hip squeezes to labor and delivery from the emergency room. I told her, you are coming till they kick you out. I can't thank you ladies enough for the knowledge and power that you provide women and the confidence to believe in ourselves. Can't wait to share my birth story in the Facebook group soon. Oh my gosh, skinny 21. This was written like a week ago. We need to go and post in the Facebook group, who's mm-hmm, skinny 21 mm-hmm. on Apple Podcasts. I need to know. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Thank you. Thank you, skinny 21. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Hey listeners, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed therapist. It's a great way to connect in a safe and private environment. I so wish that I had someone to talk to all of those weeks leading up to my birth when I was experiencing the anxieties and fears and trauma from my last birth. For Julie, it took her months to get into a counselor in her postpartum period. With BetterHelp, you can start connecting in under 24 hours. Send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions. They help with anxiety, sleeping, trauma, relationships, self-esteem, anger, family conflicts, depression, you name it. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting an additional counselors in 50 states. They are giving you 10% off for your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash feedback. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash feedback. Join over 1 million people taking charge in their mental health. Okay, Miss Amber, I am so excited to hear your story and would love to turn the time over to you. And can I just say also how much I love your picture? I love (laughs) this picture that you provided us. It's Oh, there's so many powerful emotions. It was it your doula behind you or who was behind you? That actually was a nurse, but a nurse. my doula and the nurse were uh, taking turns. Tag teaming. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it too. If you don't know what we're your... talking about, go to our social media pages. You'll see exactly what we're talking yes. about. Yes. I just, I don't know. I love it. There's a lot of power in it. I mean, even in the way your fingers are holding on to mm. the person holding you up. Like yes. very powerful image. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I can't wait to hear the story that goes with it. Of course. 
Well, thank you guys for having me here. I listened to you a lot during my VBAC prep, so it's quite cool to be here and share my own story with everyone. And I really hope it helps others in their journey as well. So as you said, when we kicked off, my first birth uh, was kind of a classic cascade of interventions that resulted in a C-section. My pregnancy was pretty normal, no complications, no issues, but I would say that I didn't really prepare myself as well as I should have. And I didn't, I briefly considered having a doula, but when I brought it up with my husband, he wasn't really on the same page with me. He had some reservations about having someone else in the room with us. He was worried about how it might impact our birth experience. And because we were going to a childbirth class together, I trusted that we would be able to handle it ourselves. And (laughs) I think when we got to the hospital and things really started, we realized quickly that we were in over our head. So my water broke before I was really having contractions and being the, you know, inexperienced person I was, we pretty much went straight to the hospital. They didn't believe me on the phone anyway, uh, that my water had broken. I was about 39 weeks pregnant, but we showed up and they confirmed that it was, but I was only one centimeter dilated, 50% of faced. And I really wasn't having regular contractions at all. It was really disappointing. It kind of felt like things should get started, but they weren't. And our doctors were kind of putting pressure on us from the beginning that things really needed to progress in on a certain timetable. So they started Pitocin and I was GBS positive. So they administered antibiotics and unfortunately um, the contractions got so intense so quickly or it felt like it was quickly. It was actually over the course of several hours, but they ramped up quite a bit and I couldn't handle it anymore. So I got an epidural, which I hadn't planned on, you know, but I felt like I needed it. So I accepted that. But then with the epidural, I was confined to the bed and I did get some rest, but unfortunately I stalled at six centimeters and about 80% of faced. So I just never really got much further than that uh, over several hours. So I'd been in labor about 15 or my water had been broken about 15 hours total when my son had an episode of non-reassuring heart rate. And it was one of those moments when, you know, everyone rushes in and they're sort of like, all right, we're doing this now. They had already been preparing me for taking me back, but they weren't really moving very quickly up until that moment. So it wasn't really a a true emergency. His heart rate did recover, but it was uh, pretty quick. And I just remember feeling really overwhelmed and scared about the whole experience. I, I didn't really feel like people were talking me through it. I didn't really feel like I knew what was happening. Um, my mom had had C-sections. And so I also was disappointed because my whole goal with my birth was to avoid having C-sections like my mom. Not that she had a bad experience, but it just wasn't what I wanted for myself. And so I think from the moment of my surgery, even though everything went great, everyone was healthy, I recovered fine, we were discharged on time. By all accounts, I had a very normal birth, but for me, mentally and emotionally, it was just devastating. I relived the birth over and over and over again in the weeks after I was convinced that I was going to have a complication from the surgery. 
I was convinced that I wasn't going to heal right and something was going to be wrong with my body long term. And I did a lot of late night Googling when I probably should have been sleeping in between breastfeeding sessions. And, you know, I I started to develop panic attacks, uh, which I had had a history of anxiety anyway, but this was next level. This was true panic disorder, um, multiple panic attacks a day. I became withdrawn. Anyway, you get the picture. It was a really bad situation. I actually went to the ER twice because I was convinced that things were wrong. So Mm. it was really bad. (laughs) And it was really stressful for me. It was stressful for my husband. It really affected my bonding with my son. I just couldn't enjoy motherhood. And then, of course, that creates all these feelings of guilt. Um, So it was a bad spiral. And of course, my, my next obsession became, oh my gosh, am I destined to have another C-section if, if we want to get pregnant again? And I, it was so hard for me to envision going through another C-section that, you know, I told my husband, I don't even want to talk about this for a, a while. I don't even want to talk about having another child because this is so traumatic for me. Now, looking back, I have a lot of perspective. So I can say that that was really extreme. And in some ways, it's hard for me to even admit how extreme it was because my birth itself was safe. Like we were healthy. We were safe. We were in a very safe environment, but I did not feel supported during the um, experience. And afterwards in interacting with my doctor, she, she just downplayed it. You know, Oh, C-sections are normal. Everyone has to have a C-section. I had three C-sections. It's totally normal. And so I just felt like my emotions weren't, really addressed. So um, it was a bad situation. I rejected medicine, which maybe was not the best decision, but I did make a lot of changes to my life that I do think helped. So I prioritized sleep and I learned a lot of relaxation techniques. I went to therapy and I started doing a lot of research about C-section recovery and what my options were if I wanted to have more children. And I learned both in my research and in talking to a couple, I actually interviewed a couple providers who did VBACs and I learned that I was a pretty good candidate, but my original OBGYN, the one who did my delivery said I only had a, she said I had a 30% chance of success if I were to attempt a VBAC and she didn't recommend it. Oh, the VBAC calculator. Yes. Um, (laughs) She said that because my failure to progress, you know, I stalled at six centimeters and I'm only five one. And when I'm not pregnant, my, you know, BMI is normal. I'm about 120 pounds. So, you know, I heard the typical, well, you're just a small person and small people sometimes need C-sections. I'm glad I didn't listen to her, obviously. (laughs) So you know, my, my anxiety was up and down over the years, uh, but I increasingly came around to the idea that VBAC might be a good choice for me. I knew that I was going to seek out a doula. That was going to be my first task if and when I were to get pregnant. I'll be honest, though, I kept putting it off and putting it off, the, you know, the, the idea of trying again for another one. But as fate would have it, my husband and I well, we didn't use protection and 
I got pregnant. Surprise! And- <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the this best of us. baby was meant to be. Meant yes. To be. And, and then the whole joke throughout my pregnancy was, well, it's a good thing because if he had asked me, are you ready to have kids? I would have kept saying, let's just wait a little bit longer. Or if you want to have another one. And I would have said, oh, let's just wait a little bit longer. So it was probably good the decision was made for me. I mean, we were ready. So it wasn't that we were sincerely trying not to, but anyway, it was funny. Um, and, and we were lucky. I'm, I'm blessed that it, it happened the way it did. So as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I, I went into planning mode. And for me, you know, planning is a way to channel some of my nervous energy. But, you know, for the VBAC, I, I thought that my approach was going to be I'm going to stack all the factors in my favor. I'm going to educate myself as much as possible. I'm going to do everything in my power. And then I'm going to use the time that I'm pregnant to try to accept that I might have another C-section. And I really stuck to my guns. I, again, was fortunate I had a fairly normal pregnancy. And I, I used that time to find a very experienced doula in our area. She has been practicing for almost 20 years and she herself had had two VBACs and she worked with a lot of women in our area who have had successful VBACs. She had a very high success rate. And then through her, I was able to get recommendations for everyone else. Now at the time that I found her, I already had an OBGYN. I had one when we moved to Richmond. So because we moved, I had left all my old providers behind, you know, I was able to start fresh. I knew, obviously, I didn't want to deliver with my old OBGYN. So I found someone who seemed VBAC friendly. But once I started working with my doula, she helped me understand the difference between a tolerant and a supportive provider. And so I went back to my existing provider, asked a bunch of questions, and it became clear that he was tolerant but not supportive. For example, if I ended up delivering on a weekend – he wouldn't be on call. He would be a single provider practice. He was a single provider practice. And so he relied on the hospitalist program. And I was not comfortable with leaving my VBAC success up to a random rotation of doctors that I had never met at the hospital. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So after I had my doula and we had this conversation, uh, my next task became switching providers. And I was very lucky that she had a list of very successful or, or providers in the area with a very high VBAC success rate. And uh, I was lucky enough that the one of the practices that I went to uh, was accepting new patients. And, you know, after having a consultation with them, I felt very comfortable with them. And so I switched. And that really also, I think, set the tone for preparing for my VBAC because every time I showed up to her office <laughs> and I had – you know, my list of questions, my anxieties. She spent as much time as was needed with me. And even when I sort of asked the same questions over and over, have you ever dealt with a uterine rupture? What was it like? What do I need to know? You know, is there anything I should be doing right now to make my chances better for a VBAC? Um, She was super calm and she never made me feel ridiculous for asking those questions. She always made me feel like my fears were valid, but she tried to put the fears in perspective. And my with my VBAC, I really learned how to think about risk analysis, which for anyone who's ever suffered from anxiety, your brain has a way of telling you that very 
non-risky things are dangerous. You start to think that a lot of things in your daily life are going to kill you or are going to somehow, you know, hurt you or that things are going to be really dangerous for you. And what I appreciated was that she used (laughs) hard facts and statistics to really put my fears in perspective without making me feel like they were invalid or like I was stupid for having them. So, you know, I think that especially for people who are suffering from some sort of anxiety, whether just in general or specifically in relation to having a VBAC, I think having a provider that can talk through that with you and put those risks in perspective is huge because up until a certain point, you know, I kept wondering, well, should I even try for the VBAC? Like, am I putting, am I putting my baby and myself at risk? And my anxious brain would tell me it's not even worth taking the risk, but I was grateful to have a community around me to help me understand what that risk is and, you know, evaluated against the risks of a repeat C-section. I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of us who pursue VBACs hear a lot about the risks of a VBAC, but not necessarily the risks of a repeat C-section. So I was grateful that my provider was really open about that stuff and the hospital that I was delivering at. For anyone who happens to be in Richmond, it's the Enrico Doctors Hospital. They offer a VBAC preparation class where they actually uh, have a very evidence-based discussion or presentation about repeat C-sections and VBACs, pros and cons, statistics for both of them. And it's presented by one of the doulas in the doula practice that I worked with during my pregnancy. So All that's to say, building that support team, having the doula, having the supportive provider, going to this VBAC class, which my husband attended with me. And I think that really opened his eyes as well to what I was taking on. He was supportive of having my VBAC, but when we went to that class and he saw firsthand the medical evidence uh, for and against both C-sections and and VBACs, he was, you know, 100% gung-ho and And he was like, all right, what do we need to do to try to make this happen for you? So that was also really awesome. So anyway, I did a few other things during my pregnancy as well. I I did do acupuncture. I know um, the evidence is kind of mixed on it, but uh, for me, it did help me with stress release. And I kind of viewed it as an hour of meditation every two weeks. And it it was lovely. I also did see a chiropractor a couple times and uh, she was great. She was very gentle and she used, um, you know, the Webster technique. uh, So I was comfortable with it. I felt like it was low risk and, you know, this baby was positioned well. And I, I, you know, I, of course, as I'll say in a moment, I did have my V back. So, uh, you know, I think the, the chiropractic care helped as well, but I know it's, it's different for everyone. And then, you know, generally I just tried to stay healthy during my pregnancy, but unexpectedly at 35 weeks, I started having leaking waters and I went to bed that night thinking, I'm pretty sure my water is leaking, but it wasn't a huge gush. And when I texted my doula, she's like, oh, it's probably just extra discharge. Like, let's see if anything changes by the morning. And by the morning it was still coming. And I was like, crap, I'm 35 weeks, three days. 
my water is not supposed to be broken. This is what happened last time. My water broke. Yeah. I wasn't in labor. And it's even earlier this time. So yeah. what's going on? Everything else was fine. And I could still feel baby moving and stuff. So I wasn't worried, but I was starting to get worried. So I did call my OB and kept my doula in the loop. And I ended up going into the office and they did the swab. And she said, all right, it's amniotic fluid. Your water's broken. Um, and of course, at that point, my water had been broken for um, like over 12 hours and everything looked healthy with the baby. So they weren't super concerned, but you know, she was like, okay, we, we do have to get things moving. So, oh, and I was one centimeter dilated and 50% effaced. And I was like, oh my gosh, exactly like last time. So of course my anxious brain is like, everything is happening the same way. And, um, which is hard. Can I just say that? Cause I had the same my third labor again, my water broke similar to yours. Labor wasn't happening. And I was like throwing a temper tantrum in the driveway. Like if it just wouldn't have happened the same way, like <laughs> it was like triggering. <laughs> it was triggering for me to have it happen, be happening in the same way. So exactly. it is hard. So yeah, I it is relate. hard. I and relate. you know, with birth, your mental state matters so much. And so I was already like, oh gosh, this is totally going to mess with my mind space now. Like no matter what comes from here on out, this is, this is just not right. what I wanted. Yeah. Um, now my provider was super awesome. She sat down with us and she said, okay, you guys have two choices. You will make the choice. I'm happy to answer any questions, but she said, you can, I can admit you to the hospital. You can go home, get a few things, come back and we will start Pitocin. Or you can go home and have a castor oil shake, and then we will reevaluate probably late tonight or maybe even tomorrow morning if contractions are consistent and, and have been going throughout the night. And so my husband and I talked about it. We consulted with my doula. She really helped us talk through it as well. And we decided to do the castor oil shake because I was hesitant about the Pitocin. I hadn't had a good experience with it the first time around. And I figured it, no one was really expressing any concern about trying the castor oil. You know, my OB just said, well, try it. And if it doesn't kickstart contractions, you just come in and we start the Pitocin anyway. So, um, and she said, you know, worst comes to worst, you'll probably just have an upset stomach. And I said, okay, let's try it. So went home, mixed up the castor oil shake. And um, my doula recommended that we go on a brisk walk. So we went on a brisk walk around the neighborhood and I was starting to feel a little bit crampy, but still wasn't anything regular. So, you know, my doula said, well, why don't you go ahead and rest? I'll be over in a little while. We can talk about our game plan. Okay. So I rested, started getting more crampy, but was still doing okay. She came over. So we were just going to sit down and start talking through our game plan. And this was maybe like an hour after I'd had the castor oil. And, you know, I started getting like strong contractions. We were just here and there, so we weren't really timing it or anything, but, you know, my doula was like, oh, okay, this is great. Like, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how we're going to prepare for what's probably going to be a long night. And I'm like, great. So, you know, she starts kind of showing Andrew, my husband, um, you know, how to do some, some uh, massages on my back and how to help me kind of breathe through some of the contractions. And, she, and while we're talking, I'm like starting to not be able to focus on what she's saying and it's getting harder and harder. And I'm like, gosh, guys, like I can't even like catch my breath. Like this is who, um, and 
And then it just got really intense. And I was starting to really vocalize through the contractions. And my doula's like, all right, are you actually in pain? Like what's going on here? And I was like, I don't know. My body's just taking over. And, um, and so I was having really like strong, hard contractions that were only a couple minutes apart. And mind you, this was only about an hour after she had arrived. So in the space of two hours, no contractions, take the castor oil shake to, you know, one hour contractions are sort of starting. And then an hour later and, and I started making like, grunting noises and she was like whoa and I started just saying oh my gosh I need an epidural we got to go to the hospital I can't do this anymore this is too painful like it escalated really fast (laughs) and then I started having bloody show so she was like yep we're going so we made it to the hospital and my husband and I were laughing about it afterwards because it was like in the movies where you show up to the waiting room and the wife is just like bent over double screaming at someone to give her pain medications. It was me. And uh, so they got me back and they checked me and they said, you're 10 centimeters dilated and you're going to have this baby. And I was like, (laughs) that's incredible. So yeah, we were, my husband and I were just stunned and I felt so bad for my OB because this was about like uh, six o'clock, 6.30 at night as she had just left the hospital. She had to come back. But so how many hours from the time you took it? So from the time I took it till I was about 10 centimeters was a little over two hours. Whoa, that's crazy. Nice Two and a half hours. Nice work. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then the hard work really started because, you know, if you'll remember from my first birth, I didn't make it to pushing. So, and my doula had warned me about this, but my body did seem to push more like a first time mom. And it it definitely, it took uh, over an hour and a half for me to really get through the pushing stage. So, you know, I hit 10 centimeters, made it through transition and things did kind of not slow down, but, you know, with pushing it, it kind of changes pace a little bit, you know, but things had progressed so fast. They didn't get an IV in me. I didn't have steroids. They weren't able to administer the um, antibiotics because I wasn't, I wasn't, I hadn't had my GBS test. So I didn't know if I was positive again. <laughs> so it was, um, it was all a little bit crazy, but my team was very calm and collected. And I really appreciate that, you know, my OB was phenomenal. She gave me plenty of space to move around. I did different positions. You'll see the photo. That was when I was standing up and um, the nurse was behind me massaging me and, and my OB was in front of me and I was holding on to her. The doula was the one who had taken that picture um, and they were taking turns supporting me through contractions. I even labored on the toilet for a little while. So, you know, I was, I was trying to move around, trying to help the baby come through the canal um, and trying to make my pushes as effective as possible. But I, I, I remember having some crazy thoughts during the pushing stage. I'm never going to get through this. (laughs) This is too hard. Someone give me an epidural, but they told me they wouldn't because I was too far along already maybe a C-section would just be easier at this point. I mean, I had like every crazy thought, but I did keep trying to repeat to myself like, okay, you got this, you know, baby girl, you got this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. I just just kept trying to tell myself we're going to do this. We're going to do this. 
And we did. She, you know, event after an hour and a half of pushing, she made it out and she struggled a little bit. She was kind of stunned. Um, so she struggled a little bit to um, breathe um, easily at, at the beginning. Um, so the NICU team was there and, and they did um, sort of help her um, stabilize a little bit. But otherwise, everything looked great. She was healthy. I was healthy. Everything looked great. They never found, I mean, there was no sign of infection. Placenta looked great. So there really is no explanation for why she came at 35 weeks. Um, but, you know, thankfully everything worked out and she was healthy. And then I got my bee back. And, you know, pretty much the hour after she was born in the delivery room, my husband and I just sort of sat there, um, you know, stunned and processing everything that had just happened. Really from first contraction to her exit was about four hours. So I guess if you add wow. in the, ca- the castor oil, it was about five hours total. Wow. Um, yeah. That is pretty crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. amazing. I'm kind of impressed with your provider, right? Like your water had broken 35 weeks, sent you back home. Like, yes, yeah. I don't that's think that's not very common at no. all. No, yeah. it's not common. And I will say, Originally, I was going to deliver with a midwife in the practice, but she had had surgery unexpectedly a couple weeks before. Mm-hmm. And so they switched me over to this OB. Now I'd met her before. So, you know, I, I knew who she was, but I think that also goes to show that you want to be in a practice where you trust all of the providers and you know, all the yeah. providers are on the same page as you, because, mm-hmm. you know, my midwife may have been a hundred percent on board, but if the OB hadn't been, I could have had a totally different experience. But yeah, she exactly. She was amazing. She, yeah, she used olive oil and massaged, you know, the perineal area while I was pushing. Um, I mean, she, and she didn't push the IV. Um, you know, she was like, just let's not worry about it since it, it just wasn't happening. Um, so she really, I never felt like she did anything obviously that was going to put us in danger, but you know, I felt like she really gave us the space to try to have the birth experience that we wanted um definitely sounds like it and i will say yes and i did um and i i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i had the like magical wow that was such a healing experience response that i hear some women having but Mm -hmm. having a successful bag, i was very proud of myself i was proud of my husband i was very grateful that i could have that experience and i do think it made a difference in my postpartum experience as well. So, you know, with my anxiety, I think being able to have a quote unquote uncomplicated normal birth experience really helped me be able to focus on other things in the postpartum Mm -hmm. period. So rather than, oh, I have to recover from another surgery and worrying about that, I was, I mean, not that natural birth is a walk in the park. Like it it was definitely a, you know, (laughs) a recovery. I needed a recovery period from that as well, but it just was different. And my daughter ended up being in the NICU for nine days for jaundice. Um, she was perfectly healthy otherwise, but I didn't have one panic attack while she was, you know, in the NICU. And I felt like I was able to be a very focused, present parent throughout that entire experience. And I really felt like I bonded with her a lot earlier than I did with my son and overall just had a lot more positive feelings about the birth and the postpartum experience. Now I will say around three months postpartum, things started to get tough again. Cause that's when 
sleep deprivation caught up with me, the difficulties of balancing family, you know, the newborn with an older child. And then we had a pandemic thrown in there. Um, So (laughs) I, I, I have actually gone on an antidepressant in the last couple of months. So I just want to put that out there because if, anyone is considering whether medication is the right thing. I don't want you to listen to my story and think like, oh, wow, she did it without medication because I didn't. Um, This time I recognized earlier, well, I'm kind of getting to that bad place again. I wasn't having panic attacks like I did with my son, but my moods were starting to dip and I I was struggling to cope with the stress of just some of the day to day stuff. So working with my provider, with my OB, I did end up going on the antidepressant and it's helped. Um, I think I'm still trying to um, figure out the right dosage, but I've already noticed um, an improvement over the last two months. So I just want to put that out there as well, that my journey with, you know, postpartum anxiety is still ongoing, but I think that having a positive VBAC birth experience has really helped me in ways that I, I wasn't really anticipating. Right. You know, it's really um, interesting how all of these things play out because I, gosh, you know, there's so many postpartum mood disorders. And a lot of times when we say postpartum uh, mood disorders, people just think of postpartum depression, but there's actually postpartum depression and anxiety and OCD and postpartum traumatic stress disorder. And I mean, there's there's lots of them that can be triggered by the hormonal fluctuations and everything. And it's so funny because, man, my C-section, I was not, like, it was not anything like I wanted. But and I mean, looking back, I think I might have had a little bit of postpartum OCD, but that's another story. But my VBAC baby, it was like, it was my perfect birth. It was textbook. It could not have gone any better. And... It was with that birth that I had really bad postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And I think it's just really funny how just because you have the perfect birth doesn't make you immune from, yes, you know, from any time of um, postpartum mood disorder. And just because you had a traumatic birth doesn't mean that you're going to have a postpartum mood disorder. But I, w- I really like how you had two, two experiences and, and you had two different ways to help heal that and make that anxiety better. And I just want to say, I'm also an antidepressant, but am I just for anxiety girl? Like I'm all up down and backwards and sideways with my, with my everything, but I won't get into it now, but um, I'm on antidepressants as well. But I noticed that when I am healthier and I'm eating healthier and making better food choices and sleeping longer sleeping. uh-huh and staying properly hydrated that coupled with the medication is the perfect like the perfect storm to help my anxiety and help my overall mood feel better and so i think you made a very very good point when you said sometimes medication is necessary sometimes it's not necessary sometimes lifestyle changes alone help sometimes lifestyle changes make it worse because i remember oh my gosh when i was trying to <laughs> when I was trying to be a doula and start the VBAC link and have four kids under the age of five and sustain mm-hmm. my marriage and try and get lots of sleep and write a whole manual. And if someone asked me to eat five servings of vegetables a day and get eight hours of sleep, I would have punched them in the face because <laughs> I'm like, can you see my life right now? But now 
you know, things are a little more sustainable yet still crazy, but I am sleeping better because my kids are sleeping better except for, you know, the random three o'clock in the morning nightmare surprise besides bed. Sleep is huge. But it is. And, so and, it, and when you have a newborn, guess what you don't get? Good sleep. sleep. Yeah. So yes. that with the hormone crashes, it's just, it's, it's hard. And therapy is helpful too. So therapy is really good. You can go to Postpartum Support International and they, uh, postpartumsupportinternational.com and they have a list of, of postpartum therapists in mm -hmm. all states, all the states. So if you need somebody that's specifically trained in perinatal mood disorders or postpartum mood disorders, definitely give them a look up. Yeah. You know, something I want to talk about just really quickly about my postpartum anxiety is so I, after I had, this is actually after um, my C-section babies in particular, but I had this weird feeling like there was a void in my life, but I didn't know what it was. And so I just added a ton of stuff, like a ton of stuff. So it was that like, explains a lot, <laughs> right? It was like, okay, I was a beach body coach and I was a dance teacher and I was judging competitions and I was doing this and a mom and a wife and a whatever, like there's just so many things. And I found out that like, that was just completely burning me out and not what I needed. And what I needed to do is talk about it. And that was my void. My void was me not being able to talk about it. If that makes sense. Like the thing that was missing is I wasn't getting it out. And mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. And I was scared to talk about how I was feeling because how I was feeling sometimes was scary for me. It was scary for me to feel, but little things would trigger and sleep for sure helped me so much. But something else too that helped me was I found, I just found something that was for me because I was like exhausted and mom and had to like be nursing and feeding my baby and cooking the, you know, just like doing all the mom things. And I found something for me and that was my like escape. And then I found myself able to talk about it. So please do not be scared to talk about it because like we said, this isn't talked about a lot. People don't talk about it. We hide our feelings because sometimes it's scary to talk about them, but really I want you to just know it's okay to talk about them. It's okay to feel the way you're feeling and you just need to talk to someone and feel validated and get it out. So anyway, that's yeah, I hear you on that. Being vulnerable is hard. It's it, is, so hard. it is really hard. I yeah. was just talking to Megan on the phone the other day, ranting about some nonsense Life. that's going on <laughs> in, in a local Facebook group. And I was like, you know, I, I, said some things that probably should have been worded differently, but my emotions were so strong and I'm, I don't do good when I'm like talking about emotions. I feel vulnerable and like feeling vulnerable triggers like a trauma response in me. And so like, I just either like close up and remain silent or just verbally throw up everything that's on my mind, which is also not a good way to handle it. So I've really got to find a middle ground, especially like it's, it's hard for me. It's a conscious effort. Every single time um, I post something that I'm passionate about on Facebook, especially responding in the comments or anything, just because that vulnerability, it doesn't come natural to me. But do you know what? The more I'm learning, the more I feel like it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. 
because vulnerability, I think, has to be learned. It has to be. And having a baby makes you incredibly vulnerable and emotional and hormonal and sleep deprived and all of the things. But because nobody talks about it, it's so taboo that it's easy to feel alone. And so we want you to know, all three of us, Megan, Julie, and Amber today, that you are not alone. And if you need someone to talk to and be vulnerable with, we are a message or an email away. You can send us a message on Facebook, on Instagram, or email us at info at because we know that suffering in silence is not only not fun, but it can be very, very damaging to your, your mental health and your relationships. And I'll just say too, you know, I think as new moms, we focus a lot on the health of our babies um, with good reason, but you have to take care of yourself to take care of your children. And if you're not taking care of you, then the whole house is going (laughs) to fall down. And, you know, for me, I had to go outside my immediate circle to find the support Mm -hmm. I needed. You know, there wasn't anyone in my circle who had experienced postpartum anxiety. And, you know, I I would encourage people to be brave and maybe find other ways. You know, if if your friends and family don't understand, a lot of hospitals have postpartum support groups and Mm -hmm. the doulas in your area would likely be able to point you to good resources as well. But I also found good communities online of people who were going through similar things and just knowing that you're not alone and that you're not crazy um, and that there are ways to get better can, I think that can also help reduce your anxiety. So don't give up. Absolutely. Don't give up. All right, well, we need to wrap things up here, but before we go, we need to ask you our two new favorite questions. Uh, You fill that out on your form, but it's okay if you say something different. The first question is, what is a secret lesson or something nobody really talks about that you wish you would have known ahead of time when preparing for birth? Oh, gosh. I wish I could remember what I wrote. (laughs) Do you want me to read it? Sure. (laughs) Okay. When you're in labor, it can be difficult to advocate for yourself. It's essential that your partner or support person is 100% on the same page as you and that they know your preferences. It's also essential that your provider is 100% on the same page as you and can navigate both your desires and the realities of whatever comes up in your labor so that it's a safe, satisfying birth for everyone. I love that. I think that's really good advice. Also, uh, I I want to know how... Really quick, just divert a little bit before we bring it to the next question and close out. But having your partner on the same page as you is so important. I remember you saying in your story how your partner came, your husband came with you to the hospital VBAC preparation course. And like he knew, like he was like cool with VBAC before, but like it was in the course where he really understood like why you wanted it and why it's so important to you. And Megan and I have heard that feedback from so many parents that have taken our course that from they, I mean, we've had people whose husbands are just like vehemently opposed to VBAC to husbands that were like, like yours, like, yeah, okay, that's, that's cool. You know, whatever you want. And then they take our course and then, you know, the information and the data and the, the history and the politics and all of the um, things that just come together and click in their mind and they become this like powerhouse for VBAC advocacy. And it's really cool to see that. 
happened. I was just going to say data is what sold my husband. Um, He is, he's a, you know, data minded guy and seeing Mm -hmm. statistics around complication rates and um, outcomes that is what really sold him and seeing (laughs) some of the, uh, charts about, you know, this is what a C-section actually looks like. Um, you know, <laughs> this, this is everything they have to cut through. And these are, so, you know, yeah, science is what sold him. Science. Yes. The guy, that's the guys that usually gets them. I'm telling you, like, that's what helps it click in their head. Right. All right. Last question. And then we are going to have to say goodbye for now. And it is, what is your best tip for someone preparing for feedback? What did I say before? <laughs> okay, you want me to read it? That's totally fine. Yes. Okay. I should have it, opened it up so I could no, just read it. No, you're out. totally fine. Um, it says, educate yourself. Do as much as you can to give yourself good odds, then release the outcome. Make peace with the possibility of a C-section, especially if you had a traumatic experience with one last time. And I really like that advice too. That's a good stuff. Thanks. You want to write some blogs for us? <laughs> hey, I I write for a living, so oh my gosh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, Amber, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It was so great to chat with you today, and I am so glad that you found us. And your story is going to touch so many women. I know that postpartum mood disorders is something that's hard, obviously, and it's really refreshing to feel like you're not alone. And I know that there's women out there that are feeling very alone right now that will be uplifted by your story. Thank you. I hope it helps them. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to thevbaclink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.